Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jaina Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week, award season may be over, but when have we ever been timely? X! Elsior, with an emphasis on the X. Yes, because we are back, and as is our want, we're back talking about the X-Men, which you'd think for a Marvel podcast we would talk more about not X-Men stuff, but, I mean, the, it does make up, I, I want to say, a quarter to a half of the entire publishing schedule, so. Well, and that shows uh, the difference between your tenure with Marvel and mine, because when I was a little kid in the early 90s, that was also true about the Marvel publishing line, is <laughs> at least a third <laughs> of their comics were uh, X-Men books. Um, but that's not been the case for the last 20 years, almost. Yeah. No, I, this prior to this era, X-Men were not dominating the Marvel publishing line. And that's so this has been a, still this many years later, kind of a, a weird, weird status point. Uh, I, I wish Marvel would publish less books, period. But they yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of books that could cool off right now. I think we talked about our opinions on maybe letting Hulk take a nap after his magnum opus run. Yeah, yeah, but they cannot let him sleep just as they cannot let him die. <laughs> oh, well, at least I like that book when it's sad. <laughs> I like the X-Men when they're sad, too. Although, um, I feel like it's been the beginning of a new era. Everyone's starting off kind of uh, fresh and ready to face the day. Yeah, we are technically now in the beginnings of Destiny of X, uh, the, f- begin- the first post-Hickman era uh, although his effects are still going to be felt for many years to come, and I still don't believe that he's gone forever from this corner of the Marvel Universe. He even had a little um, extra issue after he left with uh, when they printed a physical copy of his webcomic as Latitude. Oh yeah, that's weird. So that's, he's, he's still, still uh, weird. Put, they're still putting out new Hickman stories. Yeah, and his secret project still, as of this recording at least, hasn't been announced. Driving me crazy. Yeah. he It's going to release, like, in stores, a la Without like, die, die, die. <laughs> yeah. And it'll piss everyone off. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't mess with, uh, with retailers, Marvel. <laughs> they're, they're working hard in uh, very difficult circumstances. Yeah. So... For those who are longtime listeners, you may be wondering, oh, are we going to get a new Baseline X? Well, no. Uh, We're not doing that this time, in part because we still haven't gotten a full course of the new books yet, at least as of recording, and also because uh, we're going to be changing things up again. Yeah, I think... um... I was feeling a little bit, after doing the same thing for so long with the X-Books, I was losing a little bit of energy, and I'm trying to uh, find ways to mix it up a little bit, because the books are finding new ways to mix it up. And I was really surprised, like, this is the first week since Inferno, certainly, that uh, I was desperate to talk to somebody who had read the issues, and I was waiting for anybody to to catch up on the new stuff. So I'm really excited to be talking with you, because the list of people who are caught up uh, that I know... Is uh, not very long. I think part of a lot of that is, again, the volume of books. By the by, the time Hickman left and we did our last Baseline X, we were at what twenty six, twenty eight titles, many of yeah, which had ended. Unruly. But and one, uh, we always felt compelled, especially if something, you know, if a book dropped to the bottom of the list and then it was pushing a bunch of stuff up, we were reassessing why it was better than that. And then we, I think, the conversations could get a little repetitive doing that every time we checked in with X stuff. Yeah, especially yeah. as the list got longer. Oh, especially, yeah, especially as the list got longer. But We're not getting rid of the format entirely, though, right? No, no. I, I um, couldn't do that. Yeah, you couldn't do that. Uh, I got Elias into lists uh, when we started this, recording these <laughs> together, and I think it's like a little bit of an addiction, but we're um, we're going to space it out. So we're going to be do- returning to Baseline X. Uh, our goal is quarterly to check in on the books, and that'll give time for entire miniseries to begin and end, and um, series to run their course. And this way, instead of looking at a lot of data points, we'll look at a few, but for a lot of books. Exactly. And this way we don't have to, you know, be super on top of it every month. Because uh, I am certainly feeling a bit of comics fatigue. Never thought I would hit that point. I knew I, I that's a lie. I knew I would hit that point eventually. It's funny. I got, um, I got a new stuff going on at work that's keeping me really busy. And that's a, I'm one of those people I got less time to read comics. I end up reading more. Hmm. How? 
I just know that it's limited and I'm very strongly motivated. I can't uh, start something and not finish it. Ah, I getcha. Yeah, strong gotcha. motivation. Um, but we didn't want to uh, completely leave our, our regular X segment, so we thought we'd uh, do something fun that had been done uh, for a while in the Mutantversity column over at uh, multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website. And um, um, you, uh, you may have noticed, if you're keeping up with uh, the column, that there's been a couple months uh, after Inferno where the Mutant Medals of Merit were retired. Well, Elias... Here Do you want to tell are. the people, yeah, where, where where they've gone? Well, they've they've well, we've smelted them down, and we have reforged most of them. Uh, some you will find uh, some new metals, uh, some old favorites, and we'll probably some maybe sometimes break out you know one of the ones we haven't used you know every so often. But we pick six to award this. Uh, episode this month this bye week this whatever and yeah we'll see how it goes it'll go great i am so excited to talk to you about these new x books elias because destiny of x while we haven't gotten the release of every book yet like I, neither of us have read knights of x mm-hmm. um and if i rack my brain i'm sure i could think of a bunch more of the titles but uh we've definitely read the early stuff including uh marauders as it is under steve orlando and kieran gillen's immortal uh, x-men and also uh, al ewing's x-men red which was a big surprise to me oh yeah that well i would say that was a um what's it called a surprise but at the same time uh, i was not surprised that it it was good <laughs> I know that yeah I wasn't surprised that it was good I guess I will get into it but I was surprised yeah. um I just at what it was I knew it was going to be of a quality but uh the the genre of book really surprised me oh that's true that's true yeah so our first award uh we've kind of divided them up into uh two different kinds of award types first half will be kind of focused on the the inside of the Marvel Universe and the second half will kind of be focused on the outside this isn't going to be the case every time but it was just a fun way of dividing it up this time. So our first award is the Professor Xavier is a Jerk Award. So this is given to the character who we thought was the biggest jerk this month. Jaina, would you like to take it away? Yeah, well, it was kind of hard to uh, narrow it down just to one. Um, but I think I, but I thought about it, and I, I, okay, I think my pick for the biggest jerk of the month goes to Abigail Brand. Hmm, interesting. Why do you say that? So Abigail Brand is doing the thing right now where she's like an undercover bad guy. She's going in with the human supremacist Orcus mm -hmm. organization, right? And uh, she's like on their board and everything. And as with any good undercover story, you're going to be like flirting with uh, there's going to be some evil stuff you're going to have to do to convince the bad guys that you're on their side, right? And so she's going to be giving away Krakoan secrets, contributing to, like, Sentinels, doing awful stuff, um, and traumatizing these people. And at the same time, she's going around, and she's being pretty slimy on Arako, too, as we saw in X-Men Red. Like, um, she's not very tolerant towards the people she's supposed to be protecting. And, um, yeah, she does not seem like a very compassionate defender at all. Abigail seems... Brand and Compassion? She seems downright. I mean, thematically, it's obvious that Al Ewing in the book is going for a um, uh, is uh, making parallels to other people who will um, not mean to abuse their power, but their own like perspective and uh, biases make them do awful shit. Mm -hmm. And that's what Abigail Brand is here to represent. And it's really upsetting, and also that they've been she's been reigniting her romance with the other big heel turn, which was uh, Hank McCoy. Oh yeah. Right? They uh, talked about their romance, and Beast has been uh, uh, downright evil as well. Like, more evil than Omega Red <laughs> or other out-and-out uh, -out villains. Yeah, what, whatever happened to Beast, I've been, we've been waiting for the other shoe to drop for years now. And it still some people just it. think he's like this. Some people just think uh, that Beast is a real, like, uh, science can't be immoral kind of guy that seems like no that's who he's become but it it it, it continues to feel i don't know off like it feels it feels like something something weird is still going on 
I would be very happy if this turned out to be Dark Beast. Uh, who is that? That is the Age of Apocalypse version of Beast who jumped through before the Age of Apocalypse portal closed and um, impersonated Beast for a really long time on the X-Men for a lot of the 90s, but it was secretly doing evil shit. And in the pretty underrated uh, Matt Rosenberg X-Men run that it was directly before Krakoa, uh, Dark Beast joined the X-Men and it was a lot of fun. Huh. Knowingly this time. They knew Weird. it was Dark Beast. Yeah. Um, I did I leave see. out any big jerks, Elias? Anyone you have to put on your, uh, on your dartboard? Mm, no, not, not with, I mean, I was going to say Omega Red. I think Omega Red might be, <laughs> might be there, but, uh, not, not in the last month. You know what I think makes Omega Red work? Looking back at what I did and didn't like about, uh, X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine. I know I said that wrong. Mm-hmm. I know one of those X's is a 10. Is, ah. um... I really like Omega Red as, like, a really Baroque Hannibal Lecter serial killer, like, on a reign of terror across Europe making, like, weird human body dioramas. <laughs> but instead here, he's just kind of, you know, some weird specter. Yeah, I mean, here he's just, like, a really angry dude who's just, like, th he's like a velociraptor throwing himself against an electric fence. <laughs> Looking for weaknesses. <laughs> I guess that is one way of describing him. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. But I'd, I'd, I'd give Brand actually the edge because no, I was yeah. really surprised to see how slimy uh, she was. I wasn't surprised, especially after the end of Sword, but like, ooh, it's going to be fun watching her traipse around and all you can you can hear in the background, like the people hissing, like, <laughs> evil. You're saying that because um, Mars slash Araco has become such a vivid setting all of a sudden. You can you can hear it and smell it in this way you couldn't before. Yeah, it actually has geography now. Yeah. So, um, there's just so much, so many footsteps. This is um, the first time in months. <laughs> God. See, we're only human in in the world. We can't record in Araco. No. Even there, I'm sure someone would get punched through the the wall that we were recording by. That's true, that's true. <laughs> recording podcasts in the X-Mansion would be terrible. Oh, God. They, they, they wouldn't even try it. They would need to be, like, in Cerebro. Which mutant do you think would be most likely to have a podcast? Definitely Quentin Quire, but after him. <laughs> uh, no, I think Quentin Quire would be a streamer. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah, he's got to be in front of the camera. Yeah, um, I don't know. You know who'd have a? You know who I bet has secretly like a really good like history podcast where she talks in this like whispery NPR voice is a Wallflower. Oh, I was gonna say I bet Roberto da Costa has one. Oh, that's so true. Roberto da Costa has at least one. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> at least one. And Sam is the guest on every other episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, our next medal is X marks the spot. So basically, this is reserved for any moment in any of the X books that like just hit us uh it could be a good moment could be a bad moment it could be just one ridiculous joke whatever it is uh yeah and well and these for like i said these issues really work for me but i, I gotta give it to the one that i just keep on thinking about for I, reasons it has to do with the first metal um mm -hmm. was that thunderbird fight in x-men red mm. this blew my mind first of all the artwork was a uh, great you like a uh, it was like this huge wrestling thumping impact with these big characters just like whacking each other around and it's really quickly establishing how people feel about Vulcan but what was so crazy to me is Thunderbird has been mm -hmm. in maybe two issues of Marvel Comics really uh, he was, was he killed on the first mission? He's killed on the first mission so he's in giant size where they do the mission on Krakoa and then the first issue after that which is 98 I think um, mm -hmm. he is, they're fighting Count Nefaria and, uh, Count Nefaria is getting away and Thunderbird uh, gets on a plane and the plane explodes, killing him and like setting the stakes and, you know, taking yeah. him off the team. And, uh, before then he was just kind of the angry guy who was butting heads a lot with Wolverine. Mm -hmm. And with that little characterization, Al Ewing just like so deftly made him this really angry guy who will always speak his mind no matter what. <laughs> And he kicks the crap out of Vulcan. He tells off Abigail Brand that he and Cable come like really close to um, to violence. Um, and what's so cool about that is I always find Cable to be pretty intimidating. And when he's just like a huggable dad, that doesn't always work for me. So I like this kind of um, 
mm-hmm. this, nah, I mean, I'm trying to think of the exact word, but like uh, this like tweener cable who's like ostensibly a hero, but he's like the hard right hand of like some pretty bad people. Yeesh. So the, the, my, my point, the characterization in that scene blew me away. I can't wait to read more Thunderbird. I'm so excited that he's going to have a one shot written by Nyla Rose, an incredible wrestler with the all elite wrestling. I forgot about that. Yeah, and she's going to be giving characterization to this character who hasn't existed very much. And I just from this little peek that Al Ewing gave us, I I, I can't wait. Wow, that was a big one for me. Um, did you did you feel differently? Did you have another thing that uh? Well, that I had another thing. That fight was a ton of fun, but I actually there was one moment. Well, there were two moments actually in uh, Immortal X Men that just. If I had a comic in my hand instead of a PDF on a uh, tablet, I would have thrown it down on the ground uh, for for the moment. But the one of the moments that just made me laugh and couldn't stop laughing was Sinister realizing that Destiny had changed her vote uh, on the council when they were trying to put hope <laughs> on. And he's just like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's, this, it's these 12 panel grids. Perfect. Lucas Wernick. Oh yeah. Absolutely killed it. It's so nice to be seeing so many panels per page. I can't remember the last time I saw 12 panels on a page. Yeah. And thankfully he didn't have to draw a lot of background. It's just these white chairs, which probably was... Kieran Gillard probably gave it to him, and he went, I hate you, but also, thank you. <laughs> but I also, like, that funny narrator voice that Kieran Gillen's using for Sinister is the kind of, that voice that didn't work as well for me with the machine in Eternals. Mm. But with but it's the same voice for Sinister. Not the exact same voice, but, like, the um, funny, kind of fourth-wall-breaking, uh, science mm-hmm. narrator talking directly to the reader. Yeah. Like, for Sinister, that's great. And what's so funny also is this is the first time he's writing uh, this version of Sinister after, like, a bunch of years of all these other writers doing takes on his characterization for Sinister. Because Sinister didn't used to be this goofy. Really? Yeah, Sinister used to be, uh, I think he was, Sinister used to be, like, people thought he was actually cool, and he acted like he was cool. And now oh. he kind of seems to understand the irony a little bit, and by leading into it, he's fantastic. Yes. I mean, have you seen his cape? Yes. Yeah, but the actual award has to go to when he goes back to his lair and all the pieces kind of click as to what he's been doing and why he seems to know what's been going on. I was like, oh my god. So is he going to do this uh, to like explore the multiverse? I don't think he's exploring the multiverse. I think he injected himself... So... This is actually going to fall into the next award, so I'm going to save it uh, for 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 a second. Oh, for you mean the award that is uh, our sinister secrets named after the man himself? Yes. Sorry, I didn't say it I... right. There are shh sinister secrets. Yeah, you gotta you got you gotta whisper it. it doesn't work if we don't whisper. And I left the shush out. <laughs> but yeah, the so this award goes to. Basically, any current plot thread that we want to speculate wildly about could be, you know, no idea if it's actually going to be how it goes or where something is going. We just want to make an argument for this. But I think that what's being implied here is that Sinister has created a clone with, oh God, Moira's X-Gene. With her powers. Right. And he is killing his clones and sending them back in time to try and manipulate everyone to go his way. Oh, through time travel. See, what I thought this was going to be is I thought this was going to be a take on the bridge, the machine that Hickman introduced in his Fantastic Four run, which has appeared elsewhere in the Marvel Universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, um... It, it's like a window that Reed Richards can look use to look through all the parallel timelines and then collect data to um, figure out, like, the probabilities of certain things happening. Because if, like, 40% of universes, this person went evil, you can make decisions based on that, or mm-hmm. so Reed Richards thinks. So I thought Sinister was building, like, a horrific organic version of that machine where he's going to, like, send pro like a, Moira probe clones into the multiverse. Oh... And then, like, and then, like, uh, be able to figure out like the the likelihood of certain votes going certain ways on the council and stuff because uh, 
he could just do this, uh, you know, thousands of times and through all these different Moira realities. Mm-hmm. That was my yeah. theory about that particular instance. Yeah, I th- I think it's him sent cause himself back because at the beginning he says twenty five logs, so I'm twenty six. I'm like, what could that mean? Oh yeah, and yeah, then at yeah. At the end, I was like, oh, he was using Moira's stuff, and I was like. That makes so much. You know what? That makes so much sense. If um, Sinister has like when we meet Sinister, he's been like at different numbers of runs through his life because of the wildly inconsistent ways he acts over the years. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, that that actually that would be fun. I don't know. Time travel shenanigans not always great, but in this case, I think they're uh, Karen Gillan's gonna have a lot of fun with it. And it's built into X Men. There's already you know. There's some characters whose power is being time travelers. And others whose precognition is just, like, there to fuck with Sinister. (laughs) And fuck with everybody else. Destiny is uh, equal opportunity. This is true. It was weird seeing Destiny without the mask. It was weird, but I'm, like, I'm into it. I'm excited for uh, her to be, like, a character with a face. Because for years I only knew her face being the mask. Yeah, exactly. It it, It was the expressions. Although... Most of the artists recently who have drawn Destiny have done a good job of capturing expressions in the mask. Sure, that's a everyone who has to draw Darth Vader has to be really good at that skill. <laughs> that's true. My mm-hmm. sinister secret theory is uh, about is is not just restricted to one book. It's a thread I'm noticing through a lot of books, mm-hmm. and that has to do with the. Uh, the heir to the Shi'ar Empire, right? Because um, there, uh, Zandra, who's the daughter of um, Empress Lilandra and Professor Xavier, mm-hmm. is currently um, like the presumed heir to this huge space empire. But we also know that Pe- that Vulcan is making some waves. Some people mm-hmm. are getting into Vulcan again, who was Empire, as we remember, because we read War of Kings. We did, and Vulcan sucked in that. He did suck in that. He still kind of sucks. He's just like, well, yes. uh, sucks on a more local level. He's a megalomaniacal emperor. That's his characterization. At least it was then. Well, so I was just trying, I was thinking, who's my theory of what's going to happen with, and then Secret X-Men also, we see Xandra uh, mm-hmm. is seen as weak by her council. Like, there's all this uh, court entry going on with the Shi'ar Empire. And so my secret theory is that none of the, this is all going to be a red herring, and the person who's going to assume the throne is Adam X the Extreme. Okay. Let me explain. Let me explain. Wait, wait, Adam wait, wait, X the Extreme. Wait, 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 wait. Adam X, for context, for those who don't know, and for my own sanity, this is the character created by Fabian Nietzsche, who was supposed to be a Secret Summers brother? Um, you say supposed to, but if you will um go and check out, uh, I believe the series is called X-Men Forever, which uh, includes old stories that are uh, supposed to be between classic issues Legends. written by classic creators. X-Men, X-Men Legends, Legends, thank you. X-Men Legends. Um, in the very first arc of X-Men Legends, Fabian Nicieza came back and established definitively that, yes, Adam is the fourth Summers brother. Okay, well, I meant supposed to be as in mainline, not including the missing issue ones. Like, heavily implied originally and then confirmed. Yes, well, it's part of, so due to that confirmation is one of the reasons why I think he's in the mix. Right now, he's just kind of out there in the world, but mm. um, he is half Shi'ar himself. And he is half-brother right. to Vulcan. Um, oh, no. Through his human father, true. But I think that that gets him, you know, his hat tossed in the arena for succession. And mm-hmm. then also, like, uh, Adam X grew up in these awful, like, Shi'ar slave... Uh, I don't know what they call them, slave pens, and um, was made to fight as a gladiator. There's just, like, a bunch of classic Russell Crowe stuff we could do here. And then he could be... <laughs> And then we could stop calling it the Shi'ar Empire and start calling it the Extreme Empire, which I think would be fun to uh, put against Emperor Hulkling over at the Kree Scrolls. So it would be the Kree Scrolls versus the Extremes? Exactly. That just seems like good comics to me. And then they could all merge and become the Extreme Kree Kree Scrolls. Yeah, yeah, that's how I would do it were I in charge. So I guess it's tragic that no one sees this wisdom. Well, I don't know. I could see Ewing doing something like that, especially after Guardians. Yeah, he and he is in charge of most of those characters. If anyone could do it, it mm-hmm. would be Al. He's basically doing the space stuff right now. I don't. Are there any other books? I'm not counting Hulk. Yeah, not at the moment, but I um, have Venom. Maybe. You could oh argue Venom. yeah, but Al Ewing's doing Venom too, along with Bram G. 
You're right, he's credited, so there's nothing he doesn't have his finger in. No pie. Yep. Alright, so there's there's one more. One right more now. before the break. So one award that was part of um the um Mutantversity column was the uh let's talk about X Baby award. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would give an award to the uh best couple of the month that uh, I saw in the pages, either textual or subtextual. Okay. Um and I we didn't prepare that for this episode, um, so I don't want I don't wouldn't be able to cite a particular scene in a particular issue without thinking a little harder. But just to uh, uh, tease out the idea of this award for the future, I just wanted to um, ask you, Elias. At this point, you've been reading X Men regularly for three very uh, dense and involved years of reading. Goodness, um, yes. Whether uh, can- canonical or just like in your head and heart. What's your OTP of the X-Men? What's your one true pairing in Hmm. my old Tumblr parlance? I hope people still say that. I'm very old. (laughs) I think it still stands. Um, You know, I I, I don't really know, but the first thing that came to my mind was Wolverine and his beer. (laughs) So... Every time Wolverine could choose a person and instead he chooses beer, that that just uh, fills your heart with love. It it does. It feels like his natural habitat. <laughs> and especially because they, they haven't done anything with the, the tease thruple uh, from early X-Men, like, two or three when they were showing the Summer's House. Well, people still like to have fun with that. But, yeah, they haven't, uh, there hasn't been the, uh, the full penetration that I think some people want to see. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly just been... Um, Gene and Wolvie, and then Gene and Scott, but none of the three of them. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Right. My, my head hasn't really been geared towards teasing that out. Probably because a lot of the couples that have been developed have been developed like off panel and haven't been super compelling. Yeah, so like uh, uh, Laura, Wolverine, and Sink. Uh, oh, you're right. That's, no, that's that's a good... Ro- I'm just trying to, trying to think of like a good romances that have happened over this era of X-Men. And there's yeah. been um, Aurora and Dokken, and then it just kind of became like a love triangle in um, Marauders with Aurora, Dokken, and um, and Somnus. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you like, I don't you know, know that... I don't really... I don't roll that you, deep uh, with Marauders. I guess that's true. I just, I like the, we, we just, uh, if we're going to move the mutant metals here, we're going to have to have some shipping talk. I know. And if it's, and if it's me, the one that, um, you know, it, it's good. There's parts of it that's good and there's parts of it that's bad. And those are both parts of it that I like. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Captain K Pride and Ilyana Rasputin. Mm. Just like, uh, we, we talked about that every time something happened to Marauders and I got so excited. And we're back to Marauders. Ilyana's about to have a big story in New Mutants. And um, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for them to be like, it's weird that you almost married my brother. Now let's run away together. <laughs> True, yes. Um, in the future, uh, dear listeners, I will ask Elias to prepare some shipping discussion. And um, and he will uh, come in with a real, uh, real steamy pick. Yeah, I, I have to really think and pay attention to it. Uh, otherwise, that's just, unless the book is a romance book, I tend not to retain that information post, uh, post-reading. post Elias, every X-Men book is a romance book. I don't know, there's not enough flowers in the background. <laughs> Elias, there's plenty of flowers in the background. What are you talking <laughs> about? I think we should take a commercial break now. I will find these flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. So there are a lot of flowers. Look at the pages. There's so many flowers. If there's one thing the X-Men have, it's flowers. I get... I mean, you're right. One of the... House of X number one, a central plot was flowers. Thus proving that all X-Men books are romances by your own stated standard. 
fine. fine. It's science. Science. At least there's no shortage of bars. But there's some things that uh, we would consider having a, more of a shortage of. Uh, these are uh, the X series that we think uh, are, if not uh, actually destined for the chopping block, or, uh, perhaps we think it should be considered. Perhaps these are the superfluous X books. This is avoiding extinction. Yeah. Now, as of right now, it's a little hard to, you know, award this medal, considering most of the series are just starting back up uh, and or starting with new number ones and new titles and all of that. Uh, there are only, what, four titles that continu- are continuing their numbering? Yeah, but all the same, this is the place where um, where I, I think we should pledge not to necessarily do this every time we do the metal segment. Yeah. Because um, we don't want to like be looking for stuff to feel negatively about, but this is if there's anything that we thought um, was redundant or superfluous or poorly executed that uh, we uh, where we want to offer that sort of criticism. Mm-hmm. Even though we love the line. We love the line. Yeah. Yeah. So this time, uh, like I said, I don't really have any books that I think are like, you know, I was like, I don't know why this is still here or whatever. But I do have to question the logic behind having Secret X-Men be a one-shot. I'm baffled by this. I didn't know it was a one-shot. I just opened up the comic and I turned to the last page and I just thought that was the to-be-continued cliffhanger. I had no idea that this was all set up with no payoff. Yeah, it's kind of annoying to it's be very honest. annoying uh especially because robert's cost is a lot of fun and you know we get a lot of interesting bits here and it, instead of it being kind of a big teaser book which i think is kind of what it wants to be like it's trying to tease out future events i think this should have just been a an issue of x-men yeah that's exactly the right place it. to do this just uh that's and that was the fun thing about that's the fun thing about an ongoing comic is you just like in different issues you can do different stuff you could cut away to a different cast for one issue that'd be fun yeah and then you can make it a recurring segment like irregular but every so often you check in with the secret x-men or just uh, one of the characters, you know, they have to ask Strong Guy a question. They're like, why can we never find Strong Guy? And it's because he's in the background in the Secret X-Men. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they could also just do like a cutaway panel. And it's them <laughs> in court arguing with their lizard lawyer. I do love that that lizard lawyer has become such a big X-Men character. I know. He, uh, every time he shows up, every time they reuse that, I'm like, Yes. Maybe this time. It's not going to be long before he's in, like, a video game and then everyone goes crazy. Oh, yeah. For sure. What about you? What are you awarding? Well, I retroactively wish uh, that. I didn't think that X Lives and 10 Deaths uh, made any sense to me. It was really weird that that was the place to get the immediate Moira follow-up from Inferno. And it was a... Mm-hmm. It was just especially weird that the way that got divided up is in 10 deaths, the Moira stuff was happening between the panels of the Wolverine stuff, and the only real connection was the Omega Wolverine character who first appeared mm-hmm. in one of Moira's previous lives in Hoxpox, and it was like a very convoluted kind of shaggy dog thing, which just led to a big Wolverine claw fight anyway. Yeah. And I think we'll get more into it in another episode, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah that's for sure. But um, I thought that X deaths could have been, like, really trimmed down and just made into, like... A, that could have been five issues in and out, no Moira stuff, and the Omega Wolverine stuff was connected to the Omega Red stuff in any meaningful way. Just, like, that miniseries ended frustratingly. Yeah, they didn't need to be these interconnecting series as they were built. Um, they really were two separate things. Uh, and I, I had high hopes at the beginning. I really yeah, enjoyed opened, them at the beginning. It opened in a very compelling way, but uh, yeah. it did not land for me. And I'm sorry to uh, keep punching Mr. Ben Percy while he's down, although I think of him as a pretty resilient guy, and I hope I'm right. I hope he's a confident guy who doesn't give a shit about what I have to say. <laughs> he, there was also an issue of X-Force, and it was one of the better issues of X-Force in a couple of years, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also an X-Force annual, and um, the X-Force annual was not written by Ben Percy. Mm-hmm. I am looking up. It was written by, I'm opening the issue, uh, Nadia Shamas. Oh, okay. You know her? She's written a few things for Marvel. I'm, I'm blanking on which titles. Um, I think she's a YA writer. 
Yeah, I think she is. I think you're right about that. Um, but uh, she wrote the, just like an X-Force annual. Mm-hmm. And it was a ball. It was like uh, just the characters were having distinct voices and they were in a dangerous situation and Beast was being pretty sketchy and Emma Frost was calling him out. And it was kind of light. It didn't move the story forward in a major way, although it was a very dark character moment for Beast that will stick with me. Yep. But um, but I just thought that like that uh, the ongoing X Force series really suffered from this lighter, more fun superhero book that still could like explore the dark spy themes, um, having it parallel. So X Force Annual, I think, really uh, made X Force look superfluous in comparison. Yeah, Squire. and uh, not e- yeah, Squire, Squire, and and she did the uh, Ms. Marvel stretched thin uh, young readers book. Yes, is what I know her from. Uh, well, based on this, I would love to read more of her stuff. She's a lot of a lot of fun. Yeah, but poor X Force. We've been we've been hard on it for a while. I wish it's... it was better. I like X Force. I, I I there's so many X Force runs that I love so much, and they, there's so many different things that are called X Force that are good. And this is a great idea, but it's like such a slog to read. Yeah, I I just don't like reading about evil beast. I'm sorry, <laughs> mad scientist beast. He's not very fun as a mad scientist here. He's just kind of, well, I mean, he's he, he's perfect for what Ben Percy seems to want to have X-Force be, but... Well, he's the character that is the uh, antagonist that you use as a foil to uh, Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible movie. Where yeah. he's just like, we have to blow up six countries in order to save the, our people. And then he's just like, I don't accept that. And then they save the day because they're superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But B seems to be winning, so we'll see so if far, that comes to a uh, to a head at some point. He didn't get a council seat. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, but our next medal is a special creator spotlight. We just want to talk about any of the creators who were, you know, really good this month. Yeah, and uh, this generally just uh, is not saying this is our top creator of the month. Yeah. Um, and we're especially, um, unless they did more work that was more outstanding than usual, like uh, Kieran Gillen is probably not going to get the special spotlight because he is uh, a well-established Marvel writer with tons of classic series under his belt who's doing a very good series right now. And that's not like, a, we, he doesn't need it. He's got plenty spotlight. This is for um, other people who maybe are uh, doing something more exciting than you would have thought. Yeah. Uh, did you have a special creator spotlight this month, alas? I did. If I can pull up the name. I think I just want to confirm I got it right. Uh, yeah, definitely. Where is it? You're a spotlight. You better have the name right. I know. I know. I gotta. It was... Um, I wanted to highlight Frederico Blee's colors on X-Men Red. Oh, hell yeah. And I guess I can say mine is uh, Stefano Caselli, who penciled X-Men Red. Yeah, the the two working together on that issue did such a great job of selling the the Marsness of it all, and kind of it it feels like a comic book. It doesn't feel too, what's the word for it? It doesn't feel too realistic and uh, yeah. overly cinematic. There's a little bit of cartooniness to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very very colorful, but not overly so. Uh, it, it, yeah, it fits and... in with the modern look that um, Marte Gracia set in House of X Powers of Ten, which I feel like had been lacking for a while, especially with um, the main co- the main title. I re- I did enjoy um, Lionel Yu and Sonny Go's team up there, but it definitely didn't carry the same look and vibe as House of X Powers of Ten, and this feels like it's carrying that vibe. Yeah, and you're so right to uh, to also shout out uh, Bleed on colors because like the lighting is always good. Uh, everyone's got kind of these like big cartoony anime eyes. But like I, I was complimenting the Thunderbird fight scene, which is like one of the most like kinetic, well drawn bits of superhero violence I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's conversations in this that are so well framed with such good facial expressions, and also like um, Ewing is doing some. And I, I so Al Ewing has been on obviously has done great Marvel work for a decade now, and just finished oh, yeah. uh, Immortal Hulk, which is his probably magnum opus so, thus far in his career, alongside a bunch of other very A plus work I could point to, like Agent of Asgard, I think is phenomenal, 
and um, his ultimate is so different and excellent. I have not read either of those series yet. They're they're on my list. They're on um, my list. Just examples of uh, I think some like top notch work from you. And this blows all of that away. I think this even blows <laughs> sword away. Um, wow, really? Yeah, and um, I am uh, getting ahead of myself. I just want to also, before I start talking more about this, which I will do in the next segment as well, <laughs> giving away my game, um, I mm-hmm. want to shout out Steve Orlando. Um, this is the first ongoing Marvel series that Steve Orlando has written. I think he's done a couple issues here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been over at, the, at DC, across the street, for uh, a while now. Yeah. Um, and he's done some great uh, creator-owned work, too. I really like Steve Orlando. I was trying to think of like what his signature series is, and I think it's got to be Midnighter, right? Yeah, yeah, that's his signature. Uh, in the superhero space, or in the big two space, right? Uh, what? What do you think his best uh, indie series is, or best best? Known? I think his his most well known might be Commandos in Crisis. Right, that's uh, he's currently doing. Although neither you or I are big fans of that book. Mm, well, it's over. It finished a while ago. Yeah, uh, I'll, but. but yeah, it was. Yeah, I've never. I'm not a huge Steve Orlando fan. I most of the stuff I've written from him just doesn't connect. There's something about the way he writes that I'm just like, mm, it doesn't work for me. It's not. It's a little looser than um than the writers that I think you like the most. Yeah, and like uh, his. I really liked his Justice League, but that felt kind of loose. You know, like uh, it was fun hanging out with the characters and having them bounce off each other. But I could never really tell you what the the story was. It didn't have a lot of urgency. Yeah, and that was also when they were really trying hard to fold in like the Prometheus stuff and all sorts of DC-related things. Yeah, as superhero comics are wont to do. Yeah. Um, but so I want to say that I think that that first issue of Marauders, and he's written two issues that I've read so far, is some of the best stuff I've ever seen from Orlando. He's also doing characters I love, which of course doesn't hurt. But um, I think he does a really good team superhero book where everyone has a reason for being on the team and a distinct voice and opinions about the situation at hand. Mm-hmm. And then just like um, some of the mythology stuff he's exploring right now is very exciting to me. Stuff like like uh, Cassandra Nova has been a villain that's been through so much from the time she was introduced by Graham Morrison until re- more recently Tom Taylor had her get lobotomized by Jean Grey. And Ooh. dealing with the consequences of that is really fun, and Orlando's already made that so exciting. And like Kieran Gillen and some of the other X-Men writers, I think Orlando does a really great job at making characters interesting and drive the story while not being admirable in any way. Because Kieran Sinister is never boring, but he's deplorable and disgusting, and yeah. Orlando has already shown like a similar strength in how he writes Cassandra. Hmm. Plus, like, space pirate stuff is fun. That was the, the art in that book was gorgeous too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his face? Horn man, horn guy. Uh, Brimstone love. Thank you. I Brimstone love Brimstone love. love. He's gonna um, be fun if he comes back. He's gonna be fun. Yeah, he's definitely gonna be fun. Yeah, just this is Orlando's time to go like big and operatic and dramatic, and I think that's where he's gonna thrive. Yeah, yeah. I can I can see that. Nope. And messy. The X Men loves mess, and Orlando is a messy writer, and that's gonna lend itself really well. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, we shall see. So, um, mm-hmm. with no surprise at all, moving to our final award for this uh, episode, the strongest series award. I, of course, am picking X Men Red. I... Elias, do you, do you feel differently? I'm t- I'm split. I'm split Immortal, between X Men. Yeah, and between X Men Red and, and Immortal X Men. How about you tell me the nature of your conflict, and then I'll tell you why X Men Red gets my edge. <laughs> and you'll tell me why X Men Red deserves it. Uh, uh, maybe you'll convince me, but I have. I think I, I feel I'm coming from a strong place. Hit me. Well, I'm split because they both do such different things so well. Immortal X Men is is fueling all the like conspiracy side of my brain of like what's going to be <laughs> happening like all of those there's like wheels within wheels within wheels and machinations and what's coming up uh and it did it so well and the promise that each episode is going to focus internally on that episode each issue is going to bounce between the quiet council's perspectives as it goes forward. So it's not, it's going to be sinister in every issue. It's like sinister. And then the next one might be Xavier. The next one might be hope. And the next one might be, um, Shaw. I cannot wait for the Exodus issue. Oh yeah. So it's retaining that anthology quality from previous X-Men that 
I think Duggan has sort of found a good balance for his stuff, but that isn't capturing the same thing. I think Immortal X-Men might capture it better, but it's doing its own thing. Uh, but I'm just really excited for all of that. Whereas X-Men Red feels like the continuation of all the sword stuff merging with this. I don't even know. We've got Magneto in his metal castle. We have like it's basically in the outback. And then we have whatever's going on with Robert DaCosta's bar. And then we've got Storm being the political head of the planet, but also being constantly treated as an outsider and wrestling with uh, her own insecurities and the new costume. <laughs> I also, that last page reveal of what are they going to call themselves? Mm-hmm. Excellent callback. So I'm kind of split. They're both doing very different things, but they're doing them so well that I just I, I, I'm equally as excited to see the next issue of both. Uh, it's not like we've reached, you know, one issue in the middle where I'm like, eh, this was fine or I'm not really feeling where where we're going. I'm, I'm feeling where we're going in both. And they both have all this tra- uh, you know, road ahead of them. I mean, just, I want to make it clear that I, I am so excited for all the new books we're talking about. Uh, Marauders, oh, yeah. Steve Orlando's Marauders, I give an 11 out of 10. And Kieran Gillen, everything you said about um, that Immortal X-Men first issue, I give it 12 out of 10. But X-Men Red gets the 13 out of 10 for me. But why? Um, I knew X-Men Red was going to follow up on a bunch of the sword stuff and there's so much going on in the sword stuff and you can see like um like Abigail Brand is still going through it and her relationship with Cable was kind of what the last couple issues of Sword was dealing with mm-hmm. and there had been a couple of uh, storm issues in Sword we had been to Mars but immediately largely because of the artwork uh Arako feels so much more like a real place and Instead of a bunch of uh, people, like, agreeing about what Arako is and telling the reader all the time, there's conflict as to what it is, and everyone feels differently about it, which immediately feels more nuanced and three-dimensional than, like, most fantasy settings in a superhero comic. Especially space settings recently. Yeah, like, every time we check in with the Shi'ar, it's always Xandra's throne room, and all the advisors are like, yo, we should stab this kid in the back. And that's just, like, (laughs) what's going on in the Shi'ar world, and there's not, like... But already, in that first issue of X-Men Red, we had Magneto came down, and then he learned about how the regular people might feel about Arakan culture... Um, from the Fisher King, this old guy who's now Magneto's best friend in retirement, which I fucking love seeing two old guys being best friends in retirement and fishing together. Um, I can't wait for that. Yeah, I hope we get a whole so issue. I loved his stupid castle island that he bought in that one issue of Giant Size X-Men. And this it's feels like a continuation Magneto of that. Owns. <laughs> I can think of like, like, there's between Asteroid M and Island M and now the Mars castle. Just this dude has a lot, a lot of castles is what I'm saying. Is he, he had a castle in the Savage Land. M? Um, no, maybe he won't name it anything out of respect for the lack of land ownership in mm. a rockin' culture. True. Um, but then you contrast that with, like, Storm had to fight this terrible, like, doppelganger mutant monster for her supremacy. And she's yeah. having, like, nightmares about that. Yeah. And, and Brand is walking around being like, these people are a bunch of fucking barbarians. We need to put them in their place. And it's so cool that we didn't see Brand say that to Magneto. But Magneto is um, struggling to learn peace, even though he's, like, this guy who's all about, like, uh, domination and mastery. He's um, trying to do something different. That's really uh, exciting to watch. And Storm wants to work closely with Magneto. Sunspots his regular, like, finger-snapping, slick businessman self, but he seems like a really fun addition to the team because he's got a heart of gold. And then Vulcan comes in and is just the worst. Yeah, I don't know if he's being set up to be a a villain or what, but the reason X-Men read the world-building is the best world-building anyone's done outside of uh, the early Hickman stuff when they were first establishing Krakoa. This uh, is the best world building. It's done so effortlessly with such good character dynamics and such a... um, Like, the themes go between the different stories where Magneto's seeing someone on the bottom of society and Storm is only dealing with the people on the top of society, but they're dealing with, Mm -hmm. like, similar dynamics and cultural issues. It's just, like, it's the exact kind of dense sci-fi that we were promised by this. And the Kieran Gillen stuff is zany, and it's wheels within wheels, and it's crazy schemes, and it's tons of fun. But, like, the world building and, like, turning this planet and Marvel into this real setting, just, like, one day there's going to be a story where Kamala Khan has to stop a robbery on Arako, and it's going to be so cool. 
Ooh. Oh, that's gonna. That would be weird. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. like Latveria. Any hero can have an adventure in this magical corner of the Marvel Universe that now has all these rules, and it's got demons and ancient Egypt and mutants and aliens. Like, it's got all these different crazy fantasy elements you can mix together. Yeah. I don't know if we've said it before, but Ewing feels like the successor to Abnett and Lanning in the way he is shaping and crafting and making the, well, the cosmic stuff mostly feel big and graspable and interesting. I feel like when Al Ewing and when Abnett and Lanning are doing galactic politics, it feels kind of like a Game of Thrones or an Expanse, like a prestige TV drama, which is very heightened. But, like, mm-hmm. uh, complicated. And when, like, Bendis is writing it, it feels like He-Man and Skeletor. And I like He-Man and Skeletor, but that's not what you want all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not what you want. Like, a, you want somebody at the top of the line, like, creating all these crazy politics. And then you can have Bendis at the bottom just being like, and now they're going to scream at each other. We're going to blow up a planet. Oh, I'm sorry, Bendis. I mean, I'm not sorry. Bendis, you seem to be doing fine. Of everybody in comics, if there's someone I'm worried about, it ain't Brian Michael Bendis, who I'm fascinated by and love. But yeah, he doesn't need that. Uh, doesn't need anything from me. I've given you enough, Bendis. <laughs> I am excited for his creator-owned stuff. I mean, sure. I like I've liked that Bendis creator-owned stuff in the past. I like Scarlet. I thought Scarlet was an interesting comic. Yeah, I think that was my first Bendis comic. Wow. No, no, it couldn't have been because I definitely read like some tie-ins to Civil War and I'm sure he wrote one of them. He wrote some good issues in Civil War, if I recall. I read all of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. I read it. I, the only time I pulled Malias was for Civil War when I was an undergrad. I, uh, my goal as a comics critic is I want to write an unauthorized biography of Bendis. Do it. We'll see Bendis you is in the 30 career. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be my PhD project. <laughs> well, speaking of big projects... Our next uh, book club book, which we're actually reading for our next episode, is All the Marvels by Douglas Wolk. It is a prose book wherein he read every single Marvel comic, and then he talks yeah. about it. Yeah, it's like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. I will, You'll have to come back the next episode <laughs> to hear us attempt, because it's unbelievable. It really is. So, Jaina, where can they find you on the larger well, webs? Well, folks can find me at multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website where mostly I write about X-Men and review other comics as well. I try to not review X-Men because I'm already <laughs> writing so much about it and talking about it on a podcast. A lot of X-Men. And you can also find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. And you can find me on other comics websites sometimes. I recently did a Moon Knight review at a, a comic book Herald. That is not recent by the time you're listening to this, but I've probably written something else since then. Come read it. Yeah. Enjoy. Elias, as for you, mm-hmm. where can you be found for folks looking for you? I can be found on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Um, it was awarded to me as part of one of these mutant medals, but... Uh, no one can remember the origins now. Uh, you can also find me writing at multiversitycomics.com, uh, where I'm probably still reviewing Riverdale, because I found out that it's going to be 22 episodes instead of the 15 or 13 I thought it was. Fun times. Riverdale, it's like a, it's like the Hulk. <laughs> it can never die. <laughs> Until the next time, we shall see you somewhere. Out there. Out there. Excelsior.